Submission Coalition number 15 with Chris Rodriguez. <laughs> the Midget Twister. She is the owner of Gracie Pack in Tampa, a badass lady who also runs the uh, martial arts entrepreneurs. Uh, so we got a lot out of this. Thought it was fantastic. Hopefully you will too. Enjoy. We were just listening to your, uh, your go live. They're not here. She didn't have here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've we got backed up, so don't worry. There you go. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I can hear you now. Now we're good. All right. How's it going, guys? All right. Are you good? Yeah, we're good. How are you doing? Good. Well, you know, as best as we can be. <laughs> yeah. How's the school holding up? You know, it's uh, it's surviving. We're busier than snot, but you know. You guys, you guys doing virtual classes? We are not a huge amount, not like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a much smaller scale. <laughs> okay. Well, it's good that you're offering something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the virtual classes started off reasonably okay, but the longer this has gone, we've definitely seen a, a significant taper in, in who's actually attending and yeah. who's actually paying attention. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of seen it across the board. You know, I work with literally thousands of schools and uh, we've kind of seen it across the board that the adults don't really want anything to do with it. You know, it's uh, they could take it or leave it. They seem to like more of the Facebook live style and more of the pre-recorded content, yeah, you know, give me a challenge like or a workout. Yeah. But the kids, uh, you know, the parents are absolutely loving the, uh, the Zoom class because it's basically like they get a babysitter for you know, 45 yeah. minutes. So yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We found the same thing that they, the, the adults like the Facebook live because they can do it on their time. For sure. Yeah. On demand training. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this podcast. I, uh, uh, unfortunately I haven't listened to it before, but you know, yeah. talk to you about Not it. Many, yeah. if, you do, <laughs> if you do listen to it, you'll be number seven. So. Okay. <laughs> we're just starting out. So we're, we're white belts at this whole podcast thing. But it's a uh, submission coalition. Basically, we just wanted a, an avenue to talk jujitsu uh, okay. and MMA or, MMA or anything or, we felt like. Yeah, I mean, we've done a couple on like, like we have one that we want to do on nutrition and stuff like that. But just talking to people who have something to say in regards to jujitsu or sometimes it's like a history lesson. Like we did a great one with Caesar Gracie that we're going to be putting out that was kind of about the, the whole beginnings of jujitsu in America and all that, which was really pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Well, I, you know, I'm honored that you guys asked for me to, uh, to come on and, uh, you know, I, I'm willing to talk anything martial arts. I know if you know, but, uh, you know, I'm not just jujitsu. I did Taekwondo growing up, so it doesn't need to be style specific. And, right. uh, um, who's the odd, who's this built for? Is this built for like other martial artists, other jujitsu practitioners? Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what our audience base is right now is jujitsu practitioners and MMA practitioners. Okay. Um, you know, who knows where it'll go? It's we're still just kind of playing with it and having fun with it. And um, yeah, someday we might have ten listeners. We might and then, double digits. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think uh, you know you see a lot online about make sure you come out of this quarantine with a new skill set. So you know, this could be your new skill set, which we're is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. <laughs> Yeah, we were just actually just listening to your go live um, on the uh, martial arts entrepreneur site thing that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good stuff because we're we're obviously in our planning stages of the relaunch, um, the new reality basically. <laughs> the harder before it gets easier reality. Yeah, well, and, unfortunately, and what you talked about on there was was actually kind of interesting because the the jujitsu community which, and unfortunately, that's the only part I can really speak to. I'm friends with other, other martial artists, but almost all of them are more jujitsu academy owners than they are anything else. Mm -hmm. And the community has definitely been very split. So you have the, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm using air quotes, the tough guys that are like, we're staying open no matter what. And to be honest, we were, we were right there. We were probably going to be one of them. We were, we were probably one of the last schools in our area to uh, to close as part of the the, the governor's you know uh, requirements. Mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, one of the reasons why we really did is is from a from a legalities aspect. 
I wasn't really that concerned. But as a member of my community, the public backlash that we were seeing online, social media, whatever, that was coming out, um, either from other martial arts schools or just from community groups themselves, um, was, was actually probably the more telling item that was taking place about how people were saying how, you know, socially irresponsible people were being, you know, by doing what they were doing and the like. So at, at that point in time, you know, then that's when we took a step back and said, you know, definitely there, there's more to this than just putting out that bravado of, you know, we're, we're a tough jujitsu school. Yeah, huh. guys, one second. I'm sorry. My freaking AirPods just died. Oh. <laughs> What's going on? All right. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're very similar in terms of we, so there, you know, it shut down on a Friday. I don't remember the exact date. We stayed open until Wednesday. And it was mainly because it was spring break and we had camp and we had all of these families that prepaid for it. And the numbers were really low. You know, we had like, you know, 40 some odd people prepaid for it and nine kids were showing up. But you definitely feel that pressure from the other businesses in the community and especially on social media where, uh, you know, I was like, all right, well, you know, we're going to wait till Friday. We're going to wait till Friday. And then Wednesday rolled around. It's like, we, we got to shut down. So I, right. I definitely am, you know, was in a similar situation. Well, and we, we even started experiencing even with our own student bases. Yeah, we had we had a lot that were, you know, again, putting putting that public face out there about how, you know, we got to keep this going. But then we even saw our own numbers dwindling, um, kids in the camps um, and the amount of, of actual, you know, the, the kids classes pretty much dissolved all by themselves. As soon as I mean, even prior to the governor's, um, you know, statements about gyms closing, the kids classes definitely slowly yeah, we canceled the kids classes way before we did the adults. Yeah, just sim simply because the, you know, a lot up. of the parents were just saying, <laughs> you know, we, we just, you know, we're taking precautions. Um, so we started staying open a little bit more for the adults, and then even the adults started to dwindle. Um, and then the governor put out their, you know, put out the, the governor's decree that the gyms are closed and, you know, and everything else. But you even still see now, you know, gyms putting out those posts, you know, about, hey, check it out, we're still open, and then watch the comments. And half of it is people going, you know, you guys keep going, you know, put up the good fight. And then right after that is somebody else going, you know, um, you know, I can't believe you guys are doing this. You know, I can't believe you're still open. I can't believe that you're not taking you know, responsibility for, for what you guys are doing. Um, and, and to be honest with you, like I said, that, that seems to be more the sentiment that, that we've been more concerned about. I mean, we know jujitsu people, in, I mean, you, you can pretty much twist their leg completely off and they'll be like, I'm still good coach. I can still, I can still train. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this might be a good segue for us to kind of discuss. So you're, you're a gym owner. Correct. Um, and, but you're also run a uh, consulting company for jujitsu right. gym owners. So maybe I uh, kind of just kind of talk a little bit about what you do kind of overall. And I, I know you're in a really good position to help gym owners like us kind of navigate through all of this craziness. For sure, yeah. So uh, I opened up my school eight years ago. Uh, I am a black belt under Rob Kahn, who was Hoist Gracie's very first black belt. Uh, we are part of the uh, Gracie Tampa network or affiliation, you could say. And um, I got my degree in education. So being a teacher is just kind of in my blood. And it's what I really, I really enjoy doing. It's kind of my zone of genius. And uh, I've been in the martial arts since I was eight years old, grew up doing this Taekwondo, then started doing jujitsu, really have worn every hat imaginable in our industry and wanted to be able to have my ripple effect widen a little bit, right? Owning a school, I'm kind of confined to changing people's lives that live within a 10 to 15 mile radius of our school. And due to the wonderful world of the internet, uh, consulting would allow me to help other school owners and that ripple effect would now be able to change from helping a few hundred students at my own personal school to literally helping tens of thousands. So it really started with uh, a course that I put out 
uh, maybe like about five years ago called the Perfect Kids Jiu-Jitsu Class Course. And jiu-jitsu schools are pretty far behind in terms of structure and systems and processes and business and HR than traditional martial arts schools are. They just haven't been around as long. And you get a lot of school owners who pride themselves on that. And I just, you know, I think it's silly. Like I've, I've spent, you know, took me 10 years to get my black belt. Uh, you should be able to make money if you spend 10 years doing anything. And to have, be of the mindset that, oh no, if you make money, you're a McDojo, it's just a freaking joke. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually the, uh, tournament director for Grappler's Quest, which was like the tournament, you know, Naga and Grappler's Quest coming up. Those were the tournaments you wanted to compete at. And I got to travel all over the United States and Canada running Grappler's Quest tournaments for Brian Simmons. And when I did that, it was super cool. I was like going through college at the time. I was a purple belt and a brown belt and I'm in my twenties. Like what a cool job to have just to travel and get to meet all of these people in the industry. So I made a lot of friends through Grappler's Quest. And then Facebook got really popular. And when I was running classes, specifically kids classes, um, and I just, like I said, I have my degree in education and I've always loved teaching kids. Uh, people would see the pictures of how big our kids classes were on Facebook when I would post them and they would say like, how are you doing that? Like I, I can barely get three kids in my jujitsu class. And I kept getting that question over and over and over again. So that prompted me to launching my very first online course, which was called the Perfect Kids Jiu-Jitsu Class Course. And it was the very first internet marketing product they ever put out. It was uh, on the weekend of Black Friday. I was at my dad's house down in Delray. And Friday morning, we wake up the day after Thanksgiving and my phone just starts bring 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 notification after notification of getting a sale and i will never forget that feeling because as most school owners know most school owners if they want to make money they've got to be in their school making that money and this thought that i could make money while i'm sleeping or while i'm hanging out with my dad you know in a different city uh, I got addicted to that feeling and I wanted to make that happen more and more. And then more questions started coming out. Okay, well, you told me how to run the class. Well, what curriculum should I use? So that kind of turned into the Kids Jits Academy and we rebranded because now I'm getting questions like I'm known for my kids program, but we have a phenomenal adult program that's headed by Dan Martinez, who's the current EBI champion at 185. I mean, he's competed at ADCC. We have a solid adult program too. It's just, we're so well known for our kids. So I started getting a lot more questions about the adult program and about business and branding because we were doing a really great job at running a professional academy, not really a mom and pop shop. So then we rebranded to JITS University um, and we have a full online platform that has on-demand training. And then I also run a mastermind program. And, you know, then that opened up to, well, if you know how to run a jujitsu school, do you know how to run a Taekwondo school? And you do, it's the same thing. The systems are the same, it's just the curriculum. So we finally rebranded to the martial arts entrepreneurs group. So it's taken us some time to find our identity but um, that's my way of being able to help other school owners. Um, when I was running my school, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I got burnt out. There was a time I was teaching 32 classes a week. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm driving the van to the school to pick up the after schoolers. And now I'm helping them with their homework and we're doing snack time. And now we're doing classes. And then after the after school, now I got to do my evening classes. And that's on top of doing the books and booking appointments and doing intro lessons. I got burnt out. And um, because I've been in the martial arts for as long as I have been, I feel like that kind of chapter of my life has, has kind of ended. And now this next chapter of my life is helping other school owners uh, widen their own ripple. So we run the martial arts entrepreneurs group. We run in a mastermind called the A-Team Mastermind where I, I work one-on-one -on -one and in a group coaching setting with school owners of all styles. Uh, we do predominantly have BJJ and MMA schools, but I have more than recently since we've rebranded, brought on a lot of traditional martial arts schools as well. 
So now what, what got you started? I mean, you, talk, you talked about doing Taekwondo when you were about eight years old, uh, somewhere in there. What kicked off that passion to, to drive you into or towards the arts themselves? My mom did judo in the Bronx growing up, and she always would talk about how much she loved judo. And she did aerobics. I, I was born in New Jersey, and she was doing aerobics, and I was like four years old at the Y, and right next door in the room right next door was a karate class going on. And I didn't want to watch the aerobics. I wanted to watch the karate. So when we moved to Tampa, she picked me up from school one day. It was March 15th, 1993, I remember the day. And she said, you want to go try out karate? said, heck yeah. And she took me for my very first introductory lesson. And I've been a mat rat uh, ever since. And it was a Taekwondo school here in Tampa, Florida. Uh, it's called Junri Institute of Taekwondo. It was a yeah. very well-oiled machine in terms of systems and processes, you know, three, 400 students. And my instructor, Ryan Cook, which uh, a lot of people know him in the BJJ industry because he's a third degree black belt under Eduardo de Lima. He was also the head referee for Naga for a while. And uh, he ended up closing down his school and he's now he's a, a sheriff with the Pasco uh, Sheriff's Department. But he started taking seminars with Hoist and Hickson. So he would, we, you know, we had our master's club program, which is like the highest level. And he would implement more of the Gracie jujitsu style of curriculum. You know, somebody comes up behind you and grabs you. What do you do? It wasn't sport jujitsu. Mm. And at first I hated it. I hated it. I was the only girl in class. So I was getting beat up by the boys. And uh, usually you, you don't like things you aren't good at. And I wasn't very good at it. And then there came a point where I wanted to get better. So I, uh, I decided to go to where Mr. Cook was training, and that was with Eduardo de Lima at Gracie Baja Clearwater. And uh, that's kind of how my jujitsu, uh, you know, took off from, you know, from the Taekwondo school. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Taekwondo was my first, as is for, for a lot of people, um, especially as they were coming up in that era. Uh, Taekwondo was, was the big dog on the, on the campus, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the one that had the biggest name and was the easiest to find. And yeah, my, uh, my, the instructor I was with, uh, Mr. Vernon Mayhall was following the, uh, the Junri system. So yeah, we were, we were very familiar with that, but we were uh, California side. I love it. You know, and, and I was fortunate to be able to see what a well-oiled machine looked like. I gotta be honest. I had complete culture shock the first time I ever walked into a BJJ school, you know, it's like, it was in a warehouse, there's no air conditioning, you know, I mean, this was, you know, early is the late nineties and early 2000. There's not many girls there. The billing was on a white dry erase board and you would just write your name down and when your payment was due. And if you didn't pay, your name went from being in black to being in red. And that's how they collected <laughs> billing, you know, and there was cursing and there was, you know, like, this might not be the most sanitary place I've ever been, <laughs> uh, but the jujitsu was really good. And I, uh, when I, you know, kind of saw how that jujitsu program was ran, I was like, man, imagine if we could take the systems and processes that we have with the Taekwondo school, the cleanliness, the professionalism, and also remove a little bit of the laid back kind of environment that a lot of jujitsu schools have. And I, I believe there's pluses and minuses of it, but if you're gonna teach kids, you have to have a structured and disciplined environment. So my goal was basically to take what I learned from this Taekwondo school, and I ended up becoming their very first female instructor in 30 years of operation. They were open for 30 years, they never had a female instructor. And I actually ended up going to USF, the University of South Florida on a full scholarship, and I stayed in Tampa because I was instructing and I didn't want to leave that job. I mean, I could have gone anywhere. And um, unfortunately, I had a falling out with my, my Taekwondo school because I got sick and tired of my students asking, Miss Rodriguez, what does that do? And I have a freaking answer for them. You know, it's like, oh, we do it because it's in the kata. And I really, you know, got to a point when I was training jujitsu, I earned my blue belt that I wanted to teach more realistic self-defense and they didn't want to modify the curriculum. So at that point is when I decided to, to part ways and I met Rob Kahn and uh, he had four kids in his kids jujitsu program. He asked me if I want to take it over and, and under a year we had a hundred. Um, so, 
You know, I, I, I think that there, there's just for some reason in our industry, and I hope that we grow out of it in the jujitsu industry that, you know, if you're profitable, uh, if you have a lot of students that, you know, oh, you're just like one of those Taekwondo schools, McDojo programs. And it's just, it's not true. And I think it's a poor excuse that people that aren't very good at business do. And guess what? Most people open up their school because they have a passion for teaching. And I get that. Okay. But if you truly believe that jujitsu can change lives, don't you think it's your duty to be able to offer that to as many people in your community as possible? And I think you're doing your community a disservice if you don't put in systems and processes, not just to protect you as the business owner, but also to protect your students. And I just really hope that there comes a day where, you know, jujitsu schools are at the same level of professionalism that you see traditional martial arts schools. And that doesn't mean you're handing out belts. You know, you can still have a high standard in terms of earning stripes and belts, but you can also still be professional. And there's a lot of schools out there that do that, but there's still a lot of schools that don't, unfortunately. Well, that's where we, we were having a uh, conversation with uh, AJ Klingerman, um, was it last week? Yeah. And yeah, we were kind of talking about that, how it's interesting that with jujitsu schools, it's like uh, jujitsu is the business that's not allowed to be a business. Um, that, that you do get the, that jujitsu almost prides itself on being the, the bad boy, so to speak, that's, that it's not like the others, you know, that we're, we're not going to be the Taekwondo school or the karate school, those, I mean, to, to even, so some of the people out there, I mean, like I, there's a post we were just looking at the other day where they're saying in a jujitsu school, don't dare call it a dojo. You know, that that's, that's a, that, that's a, you know, that's, that's downgrading to it, you know, and, and don't call them sensei or something of that nature, which in some instances I find kind of hilarious that they'll say, don't call the dojo, but then as soon as, you know, you're, you're talking to them about a particular technique, they're going, oh, no, no, that's Ashigurami. They're, they're throwing out the Japanese terms and they're so insistent on that. And then at the same time, you know, so it, it is interesting that jujitsu seems to be struggling for its identity, if you will. You know, it's the business that's not allowed to be a business. If you are profitable as a business, then, then people start to question, like you said, are you McDojo? You know, are you just about the money? You know, things of that nature. When, when the reality is in order to survive, you know, we, we have to be a business. In order to survive, we have to be profitable. You know, that, that's the only way that we get to help people, you know, in this industry is, is by actually being a business that can stay around and, and you know, survive things like COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and also when, you know, you, whether they want to admit it or not, they own a business. When you open up the school, you own a business. And the goal for a business is to turn profit. And if you are unable to turn profit, you will not be able to pay your rent. And if you are unable to pay your rent, you won't have a school for people to train in. And I think, you know, at another level of this that, you know, they don't want to bring up and, it's, you know, what about the opportunity that you can create for your own students, right? And in order for me to do that, we have to have a student base and we have to be profitable so I can create other opportunities for our students that might want to instruct as well. Right. Uh, you know, I just, I think it's absolutely silly. And I, it always comes from the ones that aren't successful. I mean, yeah. it does. It comes from the school owners that aren't successful, that are, you know, holding on to 40 to 50 students like, oh, you shouldn't be profitable. You know what matters more than jujitsu? My family. Right. And that should be for everybody. And you know what my family deserves? My family deserves, you know, us to live a, a, a certain level of a lifestyle that we want to live. And when you put in the time and you put in the effort, you know, I mean, jujitsu practitioners grind. You know, it took me 10 years to get my black belt. I could have spent 10 years getting a doctorate and been right. a doctor, right. right? So who am I not to? And uh, I mean, I just think it's such a silly, silly thing that, that we see you can have high standards and you can still be profitable. And uh, I mean, that's the purpose of a business, period. Right. Exactly. Um, so I know you also, um, so you have, 
one school that you're running right now or do you have multiples? No, I have one school. I, uh, when I, about 10 years, Matt Arroyo, who's like, he's my brother from another mother. Uh, we went up through the ranks. He owns Gracie Tampa South. And about 10 years ago, he introduced me to the wonderful world of internet marketing. And, um, he was really the, the, the first introduction to it and also personal growth. And for me, I've developed specific skills like online marketing that allows me to run other businesses that have a higher net profit than what a martial arts school does. So unfortunately with a martial arts school, you brick and mortar, you got a lot of expenses, right? right. You've got overhead, you've got rent, you've got utilities, your payroll. And most martial arts schools are lucky to turn a 10% profit. Right? And this isn't like just um, what I think, it's just from data, okay? I mean, they're lucky to break even, they're lucky to turn a 10% profit. If you're doing a 20% profit, then, you know, it's like, all right, you're, you're doing good. For me, I've always been a very competitive person. So when I opened up my martial arts school, I wanted to have the best martial arts school, but then it turned into, well, I wanna be the best business owner. And because I've developed these other skills, these other industries turn a higher profit. And, you know, I, I said, I've been doing this for a while and the amount of work it takes to run a very successful martial arts school is a lot. You guys know that it's a lot of work. And if there is a skill set that I have that would allow me to do less work, but to be more profitable, kind of be silly if I didn't take advantage of that. So for me, the goal was never, and usually why do you open up multiple locations? Because you have somebody that is going up through the ranks that wants their own school, right? If Dan Martinez ever comes to me and says, Midget, because he calls me Midget, uh, Midget, I want to have my own school. I'd say, let's do it. I'll fund it for you. Let's go, right? I mean, we have that type of relationship. He's been a super loyal dude. He's been with me since day one, okay? But usually you open up another location because there's somebody else that wants to do it. And if you don't help them, then guess what they're going to do? And you see a lot of people that have been under their instructor for a very long time break away. Okay. You see it happen all the time. So that's one reason to do it. Another reason to do it, and, and that's providing more opportunity, it's to make more money. Okay. Like, do, do you guys know the number one question I get as a martial arts consultant? What, what school owners want to know? What, what would you take, you know, what would you think? That one question they ask is, how do you make money? <laughs> usually it's, how do I get more students? Oh, right? That's usually like, nobody wants to talk about retention. Nobody wants to talk about keeping your students. People want to know, how do I get more students? Why do you want more students? Let's call a spade a spade because you want to make more money. Right. right. So a lot of times the reason why another location will be opened is because of an opportunity for somebody else. Right. And if you want to keep them under the same lineage, then there's going to have to be a partnership that goes into that. Um, or it's because you want to make more money. So for me, I was able to make more money utilizing a different skill set that doesn't have nearly as many fires that has to get put out as a martial arts school. And I joke that I've got a firefighter hat because you're always putting out fires in a martial arts school. So I own one school, Gracie Pack MMA. And then, um, so you do the, the consulting work with, um, through your business, the martial arts entrepreneurs. Right. And then I also know I've seen that you, um, you also teach um, at seminars and stuff for martial art, the big, some of the big martial arts organizations. Yeah, so I'm the digital marketing consultant for Maya. Maya is the martial arts industry association. Most jujitsu people probably haven't heard of it. Um, they would probably look at that association and call them a bunch of McDojos because these are people that are very, they have, they figured out the formula to maximize profitability in their school. Um, and I mean, if you're a business owner, that should be what your ultimate goal is. Yes. You know, and it's like, yes, guys, we want to change people's lives. We want to help people like that goes, that, that shouldn't have to be set. I mean, I wouldn't have opened up the school otherwise. Right. But uh, the Martial Arts Industry Association is one of the longest standing consulting companies and they are owned by Century Martial Arts. So Century Martial Arts is the largest distributor in the world of martial arts equipment. 
And a lot of people don't know they actually recently purchased Gameness, which is a right. very well-known jujitsu company. Um, and you know, prior to them purchasing Gameness, I never would have bought a BJJ key from them. But now they actually have some really great BJJ geese. Ricardo Laborio is a spokesperson for the martial arts uh, for Century and the Martial Arts Industry Association. So I have been a client. I was a client of theirs for four years. And um, they literally, uh, they, they changed my school completely for the better. And my, my mentor, his name's Mike Metzger, and he's the lead consultant. And he saw us doing very well with online marketing. And uh, I mean, he's the first to admit, he calls it the social media. He didn't even own a computer, he just owns an iPad. So they asked me to come on their team about a year and a half ago to consult their clients in the Martial Arts Industry Association. So because of that, a lot of speaking opportunities have opened up. It's something that I absolutely love being a teacher at heart. And um, I was supposed to speak almost 20 different times this year, but then COVID-19 hit, unfortunately. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I travel around a lot and, and get to speak and I predominantly speak on digital marketing because I love it. I just, I absolutely love it. It's constantly evolving, which means that I constantly have to be educating myself, which is great because I, I feel like when you're reading and you're learning and you're taking courses and you're listening to podcasts, when you're growing, you feel like you're progressing in life. Um, so I predominantly speak on digital marketing, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can train people on, you know, a lot of different aspects of the martial arts school. So the, uh, the digital marketing agency that I own is grow pro agency, and we run ads for 80 different martial arts schools all over the world, Australia, Canada, uh, Europe, and the United States. I think that's another thing that's interesting. It, it's getting better now, but BJJ gyms in particular have been very anti-marketing, which is bizarre, but other than like the old uh, Yellow Pages ads and stuff, I know when well, we were first. Well, but, but that goes back to what we were talking about earlier though, is that a lot of the jiu-jitsu and MMA schools specifically, um, you know, were, were almost like anti-establishment, you know, and if those were the tools that the Taekwondo schools used and things of that nature, because that, that's, that's like one of the worst things that you can be labeled is a McDojo as a jiu-jitsu or MMA program. Um, and so they, they almost seem to do like the exact opposite. They do everything they can to avoid that. Yeah. I, I think it's getting better. I think they're starting to see the light. Yeah, you know, I mean, the aim of marketing is to make selling superfluous. And all that means is that your marketing should sell itself. So if you truly believe that jujitsu is so great and you truly believe that jujitsu wants to change people's lives, then guess what? Word of mouth is only going to take you so far. Right. If you start, you know, with 40, you know, you got 40 students, they have a finite amount of friends that they can right. pitch jujitsu to. And, you know, there's lots of different levels of marketing and digital marketing. I mean, for the schools that, excuse me, you know, I mean, COVID-19 is the perfect example. A lot of the traditional forms of marketing are out the door. You know, a lot of people have partnerships in education with elementary schools. Can't go to the elementary school anymore. A lot of people do festivals or booths. You can't do that anymore. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't even be outside your facility, you know, handing out rat cards, or maybe that's one of the things you do is you go to chamber of commerce meetings. Guess what? They're not meeting or you put your rack cards in other restaurants. Guess what? Restaurants aren't open, right? Can't go in. You can only do, you know, pick up or delivery. So, uh, you know, to me, the, the best, the, the fastest and probably the worst way for a martial arts school to either succeed or not succeed is, is good marketing because you can bring a ton of people in your school but if you don't have systems and processes to keep them, then as fast as they're coming in is as fast as they're going out. Um, you know, and that's not a that's not a viable business model that that anybody wants because it costs money to get new people. You know, it, it costs me nothing to keep my students. It costs me money to bring in new students. How do you keep your students? You have systems and processes in place that 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 can do that. Because guess what? Jiu-jitsu is freaking hard. Okay, I can't tell you how many times 
You know, I was growing up, going up through the ranks and I'm a purple belt and, you know, this 200 pound guy comes in, it's his very first day and he freaking smashes me. Like, and that's the story that happens for a lot of women in jujitsu, right? And I'm storming off the mat, crying my eyes out, sitting out in the parking lot on a curb. And I think that is a very relatable story that a lot of women in jujitsu have. Now you're starting to question, is this worth it? I've been training for this many years. This guy can come in off the street and throw me around like a rag doll. You know, so if that does happen, what are the other, I call them moments of impact. What are the other retention tools that that school can have to keep that member when they have a rough day on the mat? And a lot of jujitsu schools will say, well, if they don't want to do it, they don't got to come back. All right, well, then you just lost your student, right? Yeah. So kind of, uh, you know, going back to kind of uh, COVID and all of that, what would be like your biggest piece of advice uh, for gym members that they're out there going, you know, seeing the, the the black abyss in front of them trying to figure it out what would be like your number one biggest piece of advice yeah i mean first and foremost you got to throw out the ideal that it's the same okay we all understand that nothing compares to jujitsu on the mat with another partner but guess what you can't do that all right and There's a a quote that basically says like, being positive in a challenging situation isn't being naive, it's what leaders do. And you see a lot of school owners not being leaders. You see them whining and bitching and complaining and this isn't fair and I'm gonna pause all the payments for all of my students because I can't teach them. You can teach them. It's just in a different medium. Right. You know, there's a lot of talk about like, what do you charge? Okay, like what do you charge for online classes? And one of the examples somebody used was, let's say uh, you wanna go to a Tony Robbins, right? Most people know who Tony Robbins is. Let's say you wanna go to a Tony Robbins event. Tickets to a Tony Robbins event is like $3,000. It's not cheap, it's very expensive, okay? And then you have the, uh, the courses that he sells based off of it. So you can literally buy the recordings to the Tony Robbins event for a few hundred bucks. And I think that's what people are comparing. They're comparing the real deal to the virtual. But guess what? Can anybody go to a uh, a, a Tony Robbins seminar right now? No, you can't. Can anybody go to a jiu-jitsu school without getting fined or the possibility of getting thrown in jail? No, you can't. It's not a viable option anymore. It's been removed, it's been taken away. So what can you do? You can do nothing. You can sit and complain and whine and say that grappling dummies aren't the same or people don't have mats at home. Like we filmed a video on how to make a grappling dummy out of a pillow and out of towels. There is always a way. We filmed a video on how to create a makeshift mat at home with sheets, if you have cardboard boxes, with a duvet cover or a sleeping bag. I just think so many jujitsu school owners rushed right to their excuses as opposed to rushing right to taking action. So the advice is take action and understand it's not the same, but guess what? You can't do that. So if you can't do it, what is the next best option? The next best option, in my opinion, is running what I call a virtual hybrid martial arts school. That's where you supply pre-recorded content, right? Your curriculum. And for many schools, they were already doing that. We've had our curriculum filmed for years. We put it on an app that our students have access to. So like that wasn't even like a big deal for us because our students were always getting that. You do Facebook Lives, you can do Facebook Lives interviewing other school owners. We, we do beers with coach on Friday. Like we do story time with coach for the kids. The beers with coach are for the adults. Let me make sure that. (laughs) We do story time with coach for the kids on Facebook Live. I do a coffee with coach every Tuesday morning for the parents where I am teaching them different parenting tips, okay? The third aspect is the live classes. And let's say you got a hundred students and five of them show up to your live class. Oh, only five showed up. Hey, that's five that are super committed and that's five that are gonna continue to pay you. 
And then finally, the fourth aspect is on-demand training. So if you look at models that do this really well, like Peloton is an example, right? Peloton is the indoor bike and they also have the treadmill. They have on-demand training where you can literally hop on the bike or the treadmill at any point and it's a class that has an actual teacher, right? That is engaging. And then you have the live training. And, you know, I mean, it's a billion dollar industry. Why? Because people enjoy it and they need something to do. Right. And for us, I think you are doing your students a disservice if you said, oh, no, we're just going to close. We're not going to do anything. Because there are schools like mine that are offering 30 virtual classes a week. We're offering free community events. We are providing the normalcy and structure that kids need and also the physical and mental stability that adults need. I mean, how many times have you heard jujitsu is my therapy? Right? right. Jiu-jitsu yep. is my therapy. Okay. Well, I can't roll right now. So what's the next best thing? I can create a makeshift grappling dummy. I can still hang out with my professor. I can learn. I mean, imagine if you were injured, how often do injuries happen in jujitsu? They happen all the time. What do we tell our students when they get injured? We don't tell them don't stop by. We tell them come and watch the class, grab a notebook, take notes. Right. Maybe this is the injury time, right? So I just think so many school owners rush to freaking excuses. And that's not what leaders do. Leaders don't give up, they show up. And yes, it's not the same as rolling in a jujitsu class, but it is the next best option. And you owe it to your students and your community to provide them with that next best option. Yeah, I, I honestly going into the Zoom classes when we first, and we only, we're only doing four a week right now, just cause it's just better than none a week. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, but it, it, I didn't realize how much we needed the contact with the students. Exactly. It was, it was you know, far better. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is at least, we get to see your faces. It was, it was far better than posting a video. Yes. It was a step above doing a Facebook Live. Because yep. on the Facebook Live, we can see them messaging and, and putting things of that nature. But in the Zoom or, you know, there's Blue Jeans, there's a whole bunch of different companies that all do the same type of, of service. But it was fun being able to physically or visibly see them, you know, see their reaction. So it's not just the words that you're hearing. You can hear inflection in their voice. Um, you know, if, you know, because unfortunately there's, there's a lot that gets lost in translation when it's strictly text-based. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you know, with the clients that I work with, I, I work with them on Zoom. I want to see you. There's a rapport that gets built. And in the traditional martial arts world, there's a saying that says every student is either one day closer to their black belt or one day closer to quitting. Okay. So if you're not seeing them, if you're not providing something for them, do you think they're closer to their black belt or they're closer to quitting? You're gonna be closer to quitting, right? It's the reason why we do missing in action calls on Monday. Every Monday, everybody that wasn't in class the last week, guess what we do? We reach out to them. Yo, where you been? Because we know if you're not there for one week, that might turn into two weeks, which will turn into three weeks, which will turn into four weeks, right? So I just, I just think that these school owners that aren't doing anything are a bunch of wusses, to be honest with you. That's it. And we definitely see, because um, I mean, I, I still work my day job. Um, so I'm doing that, doing it remotely currently right now. So the remote work is a little bit new for me in that regard. Um, not new as in this first time I've done it, just new in this role with this particular company. And in my call with my CEO, uh, just actually yesterday, as I was telling them saying, we're already seeing things that we're doing remotely to communicate and things of that nature that even when we get back to normalcy, that we already know new things that are going to keep, you know, we're going to keep from this whole thing. And even in this whole COVID-19, when everything is shut down and the like, we're doing the same thing. We're already looking at it and saying that when things get back to business, we can't say back to normal. We're just going to say back to business um, or back to a physical brick and mortar that there's already definitively things that we're doing right now during this shutdown time period that is going to continue no matter what, because we're already seeing the schools have always been more brick and mortar oriented, but it's the brick and mortar ones that are struggling right now in this endeavor, because the ones who were prepared for the online 
um, whether they're selling online, you know, doing classes online or something of that nature, we're in a much better position um, to, to continue to provide content, you know, to their clients. And so we're definitely seeing that I think there's going to be a major shift um, after COVID-19 is done. Because, I mean, we're, we're obviously just one. You're just one out of thousands of schools around the country and around the world that are going to be also looking to build much. I mean, right now, YouTube's already one of those. You can find anything you're looking for. Correct. Not always the best content, but, but you can find <laughs> what you're looking for. But that content has grown tremendously just within the last month. Um, bigger, higher level names making some of their content free to, to go out there. And, and in some of those instances, it's not even so much that the place has to even create their own content, um, but just kind of know when they promote a content that maybe it fits within, you know, the, the methodologies that they like to promote or the message that they like to promote, you know, of, of steering people towards, you know, particular online content. You know, maybe it's like Henry Gracie or something from, from them. Maybe it's guys like Tom DeBlass or, or from different groups, even if it's not their own content. There's so much out there that you know, I think people need to also realize that, you know, if you are a small mom and pop, you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. Um, that, that there's a lot of stuff out there that, that can help them uh, without them having to necessarily do all the work to create it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have this in our pocket at all times, and we all literally have access to, uh, you know, like you said, YouTube, Facebook. Facebook stated they've never seen this much engagement because everybody's stuck at home and they're online. I think that there will be a certain place for virtual continuing. Um, I do think that this was a wake-up call for a lot of school owners to make sure they have their curriculum filmed. I think that they're seeing maybe a lot of engagement in their Facebook groups that they maybe have never done before because they're doing more Facebook lives. So I do think that'll continue. I do think there is a place for intro lessons, meaning like one-on-ones to be done virtual. Um, I do think that there might be a place for a program that you purchase, you know, pre-recorded content and a grappling dummy just to have something to do at home, not because you're going to, you know, earn rank. But I mean, the Gracies, you know, they, they caught so much crap for, you know, uh, you know, giving blue belts out that they ended up having to change it to where, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the exact terminology they use, but it's like an intent to promote blue belt kind of thing. And if you want to actually earn your blue belt, you have to go to an actual school to right. do, you know, but I mean, they have tens of thousands of followers on there. Um, I do think that the traditional martial arts are really going to break into this. I mean, I, I already get advertised to from schools all over the United States trying to pitch their online classes. But at the end of the day, martial arts is a combat art. You can't do martial arts without another partner, right? So I do think that there are going to be ways to leverage it and to other also have other lines of, you know, streams of revenue, right? I mean, you have a day job. You guys have multiple streams of revenue. And I think, you know, going through COVID-19, people that did have multiple streams of revenue, you're not as worried as people that don't. And to me, that's just a duty that you owe to your own family, you know, like making sure my family knows that no matter what, we're going to be okay. And if I only had one line of, you know, revenue, and if that was my school and everybody canceled, then how are you going to feed your family? You know, what are you going to, we're going to hope that the unemployment website works, you know? <laughs> so, um, why don't you go ahead and take this opportunity to put out there your ways to contact you if they're interested in your personalized coaching, your uh, your group, your um, uh, Jitsu University that's now the martial arts entrepreneur, um, but just kind of maybe throw out there ways to for them to get more information on that. Yeah, I mean, the best way would be our Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. Uh, it's facebook.com forward slash VMAE group, the martial arts entrepreneurs group. Uh, so that would be the absolute best way. We put out a ton of free content, all right? So if you, uh, if you like yeah, if you like my teaching style and stuff like that, I would definitely go in there. You know, it also has the power that there's almost 2,000 other school owners that are in there, a lot of BJJ schools as well. 
Um, but that would be the absolute best way because anytime that we launch anything, it'll go in that Facebook group. Um, you know, my personal email is midgettwister at gmail.com. So if you want to shoot me an email, uh, I'd be happy to connect that way as well. And so, so, so hold on. So, cause this is what I've, I've had to, I've had to ask. So where did midget twister come from? Very good question. So midget, the midget. <laughs> Probably the one you get hit with a lot, but. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a jujitsu technique. So, uh, Chim Chim, uh, Justin Garcia, he owns the jungle gym in, in the Bronx, very outspoken school owner. Um, he was Rob's very first black belt. So he would come down and he would train and things like that. And he had a move called the midget twister and it was done from the turtle position and it's a funky neck crank. It's not like the twister. Um, and I'm short, I'm five foot two, I'm pretty fast when I grapple and I taught kids. So Rob just started, so I saw this move, Justin teach the midget twister and I'm like, that is so cool. I'm gonna go for that on everybody. So I tried getting it on everybody. And then because I'm short and I'm fast, uh, I twist the midgets in class. Midget twister just kind of stuck and, and it got it. kind of dwindled down to midget. And then that got dwindled down to midge. So a lot of it was midge, midge, come here. Your nickname uh, and, a nickname. <laughs> yeah, so it is a nickname. You don't get to pick your nicknames, right? No. And, uh, you know, I got that nickname and I was like 20 years old. So I made it my email. So you got to imagine when I'm in like, you know, professional meetings with my lawyer or my accountant or my insurance company, I'm like, they're like, what's your email? And I'm like, midgettwister at gmail.com. <laughs> I don't want to say it, right? But I've had it for so long. It sticks. People remember it's a yeah. great conversation starter. I mean, I got a tattoo. We got, even got a symbol, Midget Twister. One of the parents made the logo for me. Oh, nice. As a tattoo. Uh, so that is what the Midget Twister is. And if we ever grapple, I'll, uh, I'll show you guys. So now I'm gonna have to look it up, find out what that is. <laughs> so right now, our YouTube channels. Right now, the triangle is making its way through our group. It's the, uh, it's the one that everybody is. There's bets on the line. <laughs> Yeah, like like right now, there's there's a bet one student to another that he'll never get him in a triangle ever again. There's a hundred dollar bet on the line. Um, so. That's funny. Yeah, he saw me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh. Yeah. Um, so we have just a couple more minutes. So one thing that you know we've talked about because we haven't like gone full into like getting a consultant. What would be kind of a to make a case for why a martial arts uh instructor owner would need to seek out like like somebody like you to help them out yeah so i mean it just fast tracks your success right it's you know we're talking about youtube here right you want to get good at jujitsu do you go to youtube or do you find a black belt instructor sign up at the school and listen to what they have to say right they have the time they have the experience and you know, it's, that's why you should have a mentor, right? And, and I believe you should have mentors in, in different aspects of your life, right? So I have a martial arts school owner mentor. I have a financial mentor. I have a family mentor, somebody that I look up to that in my opinion has not having a family out of the park, right? So you should have mentors in all different aspects of your life, but it's the fastest way to fast track your success. I mean, it's. Like trying to learn jujitsu on your own, it's gonna take a while. You find somebody that's done it. And there's lots of consultants out there and my, you know, not everybody's gonna be everybody's cup of tea. Maybe people are watching this and they're like, I don't, I don't like her teaching style or she's too brash or she's too loud or whatever, right? You've gotta find somebody that one is in line with your values. And I think that's really important, right? And it's one of the first things when I do a discovery call with working with a new school owner is I wanna know their values and they should be asking me what are my values as well, you know? Because there are certain consultants out there that will teach you just make the sale, right? right. And not to have integrity about it. And I, I, I think as martial artists, we should have integrity when we're doing that. Because at the end of the day, there's many different ways to operate a successful school, okay? There are people that don't do contracts and there are people that do contracts. There are people that don't do upgrades. There are people that do upgrades. There are, there's just so many different ways to skin a, a cat. You've got to find a consultant that has the same values as you so that when you put your head on your pillow at night, 
you feel really confident about the services that you're providing to your community. Most consultants will hop on a free call. Um, if they won't hop on a free call, then I would probably try to find another consultant, right? If they, you know, sometimes they try to vet you and talk to my assistant, like, no, I want to, I want to talk to the person that I'm working with. So, you know, I, I offer a free discovery call with, with anybody. And if I can't help you, and there are certain people that I can't help depending on their mindset. And, you know, if, if, you don't want to have systems if you you know are not willing to make changes and come with your cup empty then i can't help you and i'll be the first person to tell you because i i don't mean this in a bragging way but i'm not hurting for clients i'm in a position with all of my businesses where i can pick the type of clients that i want to work with because i've worked with just some clients you don't want to work with we've all had those types of students in our own school as well and those types of students can sometimes almost be like a cancer in your school and right. that can spread. Sometimes you have to fire students and that's a legit thing that has to happen as a business owner sometimes because that will spread. Um, so, you know, you've got to find a consultant. I think the number one thing is somebody that has the same values that, that you do and, uh, you know, just get on a phone with them. And at the end of the day, more than likely you're hiring them because you want to be more successful, but, what is your definition of success? You know, maybe your definition of success isn't having 300 students. Maybe your definition of success is, I just want to be able to bring in $10,000 and I want to be able to hire an instructor so I can go home and eat dinner with my family. I mean, how many family dinners do you guys get to eat? I know for me, it's not, very, it's not often, right? When you're a school owner, because guess where you're at at dinner time? You're at the school, right? So for me, that was something that was, I have a brand, I have a newborn. Right. And that's something that's really important that when he's, you know, of the age of understanding what a, you know, a family meal is that I do have the ability to sit down and eat with him, which means I can't be on the mat teaching. Right. Right. So you got to figure out what your definition of, of success is. Awesome. That's perfect. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for spending your lunch with us. I know yeah, absolutely, guys. Yeah, let me know how I can, uh, you know, listen to the recording or whatever, because I can yeah. blast it out on our, you know, we got a huge email list and stuff and, you know, maybe get you, uh, you know, maybe at least 12 listeners. Well, definitely. Well. I mean, shout out to, to Rob Kahn and the and the Gracie Tampa Network. We've we've um, been very familiar with, uh, uh, we do a pretty dangerous women's jujitsu open mat. Yeah, we got to come to your gym one of um, these times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, with, with that, um, we, we were at Gracie Tampa South. Um, we were at that time, uh, Aaron Hart. And them and Luis hadn't uh, opened up their gym yet. Um, Aaron so, Hart is such a freaking beast, man. I, I can't wait until she is a UFC champion. I was yeah. so like, happy can do it, she can do it. Because I was like, I am tired of getting my butt kicked by a brown belt. Right? Yeah. Everybody got a lot more comfortable when she got her yeah. back. That's for sure. I mean, definitely, definitely. Like I said, shout shout out to the entire group. Um, we've had interactions with a lot of different members of the Gracie Tampa network. And I, I can honestly say, I don't think we've, we've really run into anybody yet that hasn't been genuinely a, a really great person that, that we've really, you know, appreciated that the time that they've given us, you know, whether it's been Matt Arroyo, whether it's been, um, you know, the, the people at, like said, Gracie Tampa South, we've been to, there's a couple others, the physical locations we were at. Uh, Bradenton. Um, but I mean, everybody has just been extremely good. And like you said, it's, it's aligning yourself with people that all have the same values, the same mindsets, everything else. And, and definitely there, there seems to be something special with the, the group that, that you're with and everything. Cause like I said, I, I don't think we've had a bad interaction with anybody. Everybody's been just extremely, you know, just you'd think that we were part of the network the way they treat us. That's so. awesome. That's great to hear. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I will uh, send you the link and everything. Uh, as soon as we get it up, we just have to edit and get the intro and all that, but usually takes us a couple days. For sure. Thanks so much for the invitation guys. I appreciate, it. appreciate it. Have a great day. Great. You, you too. Yes.
Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This is your host, David Lowson. And your other host, Melissa Lowson. We really appreciate being able to do this for you guys. We appreciate you giving us a listen. Uh, if you want to uh, follow us, go to uh, Instagram, submission underscore coalition, or give us a like on Facebook, submission coalition. Or uh, if you guys want to throw some donations, it's not like I'm going to turn it away. We're also always looking for sponsors. Just PM us at uh, any of our social media outlets. Awesome. Thank you.